All right. That's enough fellowshipping. <laughs> you guys are worse than the youth group, you know that? What I wanted to say before you all got rowdy on me is I wanted you to say hello to one of the youth kids before they left. <laughs> now, don't you feel bad? <laughs> all right, we got a Bible study. Esther chapter 8, if you'll turn to Esther chapter 8. Parents, um, we do have that youth hayride. If you need a Bible, we're going to cover chapters 8, 9, and 10 tonight, all right? We're going to finish the book of Esther. So chapter 10 is only three verses, so don't worry. We got all night, so. If you need a Bible, follow along with us, the Old Testament book of Esther. And John's got a Bible uh, that he'll give to you if you need to follow along with us tonight as we're going to finish the book of Esther. We've been in the book of Esther for the last couple months. And parents concerning the youth, the hayride on the 12th at the Banowitz, um, all the information is in the bulletin, and um, there are maps of the Banowitz house, 5 to 8 o'clock, I believe. Right, Amy? So Amy's too busy talking to her friend over there, so <laughs> she's still too busy talking to her friend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll get a sign up and so you know how many hot dogs to buy and stuff like that. Okay, it sounds good. They're going to have a great time, and, um, and uh, we're looking forward to that. One of the things, one of the needs, and I am probably the, one of the worst pastors around when it comes to telling you what our needs are because I really believe, and we have the philosophy where God guides, he provides. And uh, he's been so good to us here at Calvary Chapel. And, you know, he, he always provides for us. But one of the things, my uh, son came home, uh, Luke, and he said, really, we need, uh, if we can, we need to get a, a van for the church, for the youth. Because when they do activities, they'll have 30-some kids go. And um, they have all the cars and everything. Um, it's, you know, it's a good problem to have. So just be in prayer for that. Um, if we want to get a church van for the youth or for other things, um, that it might work out, and I know nothing about getting vans um, or anything like that, so we'll just wait on the Lord, but that's something you can pray about in your prayer time. Um, Saturday is men's breakfast. Don't forget, guys, uh, breakfast is at 8 o'clock, but prayer, prayer time is at 7 o'clock. If you want to come join us for prayer at 7 o'clock in the coffee shop, and then 8 o'clock at Golden Corral. Also, there's a single adults, right? That's going to be 5.30 is the study, then 7 o'clock the potluck. There's a sign-up for that. Sunday is the um, uh, Sunday morning services, of course, 8.30, 10.30. We're going to continue in John's Gospel, doing a verse-by-verse -verse study in John's Gospel. And we'll be in chapter 10, where Jesus is going to make his fourth I Am statement, and that is, I am the Good Shepherd. And it's a wonderful, rich chapter, and I know you'll be blessed. So come out, 8.30, 10.30, grab somebody, invite them to Calvary Chapel, all right? as we just continue to go through John's gospel. There are other things that are there in your bulletin. Take a look at it. Uh, we're wrapping up the Bibles for China as um, Ashley and Barbara are going to be leaving later on this month to China. So again, they want to thank you for their support. There is the life chain on Sunday um, afternoon. There's information out there, some flyers. You can take a look at that. I think it's 2.30 to 3.30 on 23rd Avenue. Is that correct? So the life chain they do every first Sunday of October. 
And also, you know that the, there is a container out there uh, for canned goods. And Lola Clayton and Jerry Clayton, they do so much for this community. Um, and um, they are going to be collecting some canned goods from now to October 20th. And then what they do in November, right before Thanksgiving, and then again in December, they put together some food baskets for those in need. So you can bring canned goods. And um, Lola said any kind of canned goods is good uh, for people. But, you know, um, those that, you know, people would especially kind of use around the holidays would be a blessing. So you can put it in that container, and then we'll empty it every week for Lola. And she is such a blessing to this community. She cares about the people of this community. And they do so much behind the scenes. And um, they're going to be doing some uh, shoe boxes, uh, OCC shoe boxes, which we're going to have, I think, that table out here pretty soon for you to get your shoe boxes because it's that time of year coming up in October, aren't we? Uh, maybe a week from Sunday, I think, is when we're going to have it. So a lot of exciting things happening here at Calvary Chapel. <coughs> and, um, and we want to continue to reach out to this community and those who are ministering in this community. So we're uh, looking forward to that. And Lola, uh, as she does the shoe boxes um, with Envision here, uh, if anybody wants to help, um, I'm going to have her um, just make sure that we have the information for that. And those of you who feel uh, like you want to help with that, that would be a blessing to Lola and Jerry. So, again, everything else is in your bulletin. Take a look at it. A lot of stuff. Uh, pictures for directory. If you're not in the directory, you'd like to be in there. There's some forms to fill out, forms in, the, um, in your bulletin. Uh, if you want to be in the church directory, and then we're going to be taking pictures starting on Sunday. So after each service, we'll be doing that. And uh, right now, we're looking for a space to do that because we use every square inch of this building. So it's kind of like, I don't know, we're going to do it. Right now, we're thinking the bookstore somewhere. So we'll let you know on Sunday. All right? Father, we ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word as we finish up this wonderful book the book of Esther. And Lord, we pray that tonight you would touch our hearts as we finish the story and we see your faithfulness and your provision once again and um, you working for your people, your promises that are kept. And, and Lord, um, your compassion and, and mercy is new and, and forevermore. Um, so Lord, thank you that we can be encouraged tonight through your word Help us to, to make applications so we can leave here just with the, the peace and the assurance that you're working in our lives as well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so Esther, this wonderful story that took place about five, you know, hundred years before Jesus came on the scene. And the Medo-Persian Empire is in control of the known world. They have 127 provinces from India all the way to North Africa to Ethiopia. And we know that King Ahasuerus, they, he was wanting a new queen because Queen Vasti had humiliated him and, and upset him. So it was Esther, who was Jewish, became the new queen when they had that contest. She was raised by Mordecai, who was Esther's cousin, as we have read in this story. And we know that Mordecai was promoted there within the king's gate. And Another man was promoted as well by the king. His name was Haman. And you recall that Haman 
had this evil plan that he devised. He, he didn't like Mordecai because Mordecai did not bow down to Haman. Haman was kind of the right-hand man to the king. And Haman was one that was full of pride. He was full of arrogance. He was one that um, was uh, very wealthy. He, he wanted um, Mordecai to bow down to him like everybody else was, but Mordecai refused to do that. And so in his anger and in his wrath, he decides not only am I going to try to get rid of Mordecai, but I know he's a Jew and I'm going to come up with this plan to get rid of all the Jews. The whole Jewish race is what he wanted to do. So he goes to the king and he comes up with that evil plan, as you know, if you've been with us in our study going through the book of Esther or if you've read it yourself. And he's deceptive. He, he comes and he says, King Ahasuerus, there's a group of people that are a problem. They don't keep your laws, and we need to get rid of them, and I'll be a good guy and pay for it, and I'll hire the guys to do that. So King Ahasuerus, he's not diligent in asking questions. He doesn't know that it's Haman in this evil plot desiring to wipe out all of the Jews and to take their plunders. He just gives Haman the signet ring of the king and says, go ahead and make the decree, and the decree goes out. So it was Haman that had cast purred, or that is a lot, to see when this plan was going to be uh, carried out. He did this in the first month in going to the king. Uh, the casting of lots, the purr, would determine that it would be carried out in the 12th month. So there was some time, almost 11 months, that would be in between the time that the decree was signed to when actually it was going to be carried out. And we know that Haman, that he would make that decree that all the Jews should be wiped out and that their possessions plundered. It went throughout 127 provinces. And we saw that then there was weeping and there was wailing and there was lamenting of the Jews because that decree had gone out. And it was a very, very dark time indeed for not only Mordecai as he was in sackcloth, and there is Esther, the queen. She's hidden away in the palace. She's isolated from what's going on. She doesn't understand why Mordecai is making a spectacle of himself and, and wailing and weeping, but she finds out about the decree. And, and we know that it seemed like God was absent at this time. And as we discussed, the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that God has not mentioned. But we see God working most definitely, don't we? And in our times of difficulties and trials and, and hardships that we go through, oftentimes we wonder, Lord, are you there? Lord, are, are you even see what it is that I'm going through? Do you hear my cries? Do you, do you see my weeping? And the Lord says, yes. He hears you. He sees you. He knows everything that you're going through. So here is Mordecai. He tells Esther what's going on, and you need to intervene. And, of course, we know that Esther, at first, she's hesitant. She says, I can't just go before the king, even though I am the queen, because if he doesn't receive me, then my life could be, you know, uh, put to, to end. He could put me to death. So we know that it was Queen Esther that went before the king, Ahasuerus. He received her. He, she asked for a banquet with the king and for Haman. Haman goes home, you know, and he's bragging to his family about how wealthy he is and how great he is and how he's been promoted. And here's the thing. You know, Haman is a picture of the enemy. 
He's one that came to the king. He was one that said, King, I'm going to help you out. There's a group of people that are coming against you, and I'll take care of it. I'll be the good guy. He presented himself as, you know, doing good for the kingdom. And he is one, though, that was full of lies and deception, full of pride and full of arrogance. And he wanted to be worshipped. He's a picture of Satan. Because that's something Satan always wanted to to have is to be worshipped. As Isaiah says that Lucifer wanted to be like the most high and sit on the throne and be worshipped as God. And we know that there's going to be one that's going to come along in the future that he is called the Antichrist in the tribulation period and he's going to come on the scene and to the world and to the kings of the world, he's going to seem like a good guy. He's going to come as a man of peace and he's going to seem to have the answers and we need to go in this way, but he also is going to want to destroy God's people. And we know that the Antichrist who is directly influenced by Satan himself and with the power of Satan is going to want to be worshipped and he's going to be one that's going to come against God's people. He'll come against the Jewish nation, the Jews that don't make allegiance to him and the tribulation saints during that time. Anyone who does not bow down to him, to his image that he sets up in the temple, anyone who doesn't make their allegiance to him. So Haman, to me, is a picture of the one that will come on the scene in the future. And remember that Paul said to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians that Satan will present himself as an angel of light. So here is Haman. He does that. But as the scripture says, as we saw that it was Esther that would reveal the plot to the king about Haman and how he wanted to destroy the Jews. And we left off at at chapter 7 with uh, Haman who wanted to hang Mordecai, had the gallows that were made 75 feet high so everybody could see Mordecai that would be hanged on him. But we know that Haman ended up being hung on the gallows. And it was the king that was very upset, so God turned the tables, and that's where we left off last time, as we see that God is working on behalf of his people. So Haman was hanged on the gallows, and then in chapter 8, we read on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which had been taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counter off counteract, that is, the evil of Haman and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. Now, keep in mind, as we've gone through this story, I've told you that in the Medo-Persian Empire, once a decree had been made, once the law had been given by the king and it was sealed with the signet ring, there was no um, appealing, there was no overturning that law. It was law. So what are they going to do about it? What is going to happen? It's still the law that the Jews were going to be killed on a certain day that's coming up here. So how is it that they were going to deal with that? So Esther, again, she's imploring, she's pleading here with, with the king. But we have seen that, that God is showing favor for his people. So Haman's house, and remember he was very wealthy, is given to Esther. Esther now tells how her and Mordecai are related, and he's made really second in command here. And it's interesting how God works in such amazing ways, and he is working for good. And I know that it's a verse that we hear a lot of times 
from Romans chapter 8 that God promises that he'll work all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And there may be some that you're here tonight and you're thinking, God's working for good? Because I'm still waiting to see that good come to pass. And I want to encourage you tonight that as you believe in the Lord and as you're looking to the Lord, that his word is true and he's working somehow for good in eternity's values and views and perspectives. Do you know that? And we don't always see it when we're going through the loss or the tragedy or when we're going through the, the hardships and the storms of life. In the book of Genesis, a lot of you know the story, that Jacob had 12 sons. And he gave one of his sons, Joseph, a coat of many colors. And Joseph's brothers were all jealous of him and envious of him and, and hated him. And they were going to kill him, but they decided that what we'll do is throw him down into a pit and we'll sell him to some Egyptian merchants that are on their way to Egypt. And that's what they did and made some money off that uh, selling their brother into slavery. And they took that coat and they put some, you know, goat's uh, blood on it. And they went home and they told their father, Jacob, that Joseph was eaten by a wild animal. And it was Jacob that wept, and he sobbed, and he grieved. Can you imagine that? Grieving for the loss of his son, the pain that was involved in that. Well, it was Joseph who was just a teenager at that time, as old as some of these kids that, that you saw go upstairs tonight. And it was Joseph that was in Potiphar's house as a steward, and God would bless him, and he became the steward over the whole household, but Potiphar's wife would come and make advances towards him, didn't she? And one day she sends out all the other servants, and it's just her and Joseph. And she comes to Joseph, and she says, lie with me. And Joseph said something that I pray that we never forget, at least that we have this mindset in our hearts, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, that, you know what, Joseph said, how can I do this wickedness before my God? When the temptation comes, Joseph, who is a godly young man, in Egypt, in the world, and he was able to stand fast in the faith and for truth. And he said, how can I do this wickedness before my God? And we need to remember that when the temptation comes, that it is wickedness, it is sin before our God. And he fled. You know, it's Paul that would write to Timothy, flee useful lust is what you're to do. But every time that the Lord tells us to flee something or uh, turn away from something or to, to put off something, he tells us to pursue something. You are to flee this useful lust, but you're to pursue righteousness and goodness is what you are to do. You're to, to put off the old man, but you are then to put on the new man. So we see that we are to pursue God. And here is Joseph, this young man. He is wrongly accused then uh, by Potiphar's wife as she's embarrassed. And he's thrown in prison uh, for being wrongly accused of making advances towards her when it was her that was doing it. So he's in prison in Egypt for about 12 years. 12 years. That's a long time. And being in that ancient prison was not a good place. You know, I, I've done some ministry in, in the jail, and I've, I've been in a prison, and, and, you know, it's not a good place. I know that. But, you know, they have medical help. There's counselors. There's, you know, a clean place. 
back in Joseph's day, it wasn't that way at all. It was dark and damp, and there was medical, no medical help. There was no counselors. There was none of that stuff. And if you died in prison, so what? And you were forgotten, and it was damp and dark. And so here's Joseph there, and what did he do? He ministered to the prisoners. He continued to honor God with his life. And he did that, and all of a sudden there was the baker and there was the butler uh, that was there um, because the Pharaoh had gotten mad at them and was some kind of investigation going on, and they're there. And, and all of a sudden they had dreams. They give the dreams to Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream and says, Butler, you're going to be back up serving Pharaoh. The baker, sorry, you're going to be, your head's going to be chopped off, and that's what happened. And he was there in that prison for another two years after that event. And then all of a sudden, when Pharaoh has this dream, he has a dream of seven fat cows and then seven skinny cows, and the skinny cows would eat up the fat cows. We see that he had another dream of seven grains of, you know, heads of grain that were plump, and they were, uh, you know, overtaken by the plump grains that, you know what, they, they were, you know, sickly. And so Pharaoh's going, what is this all about, you know? Uh, what's this dream about? Somebody give me the interpretation. His wise men couldn't do it, magicians, sorcerers. And all of a sudden, the butler says, you know, there's a Hebrew man down in prison. He interpreted a dream when you were mad at me, and it came true. So bring him up, he'll interpret the dream. And they cleaned Joseph up. They brought him up before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I hear you have the ability to interpret dreams. And Joseph said, it isn't me. It's God. God will do it. He gave glory to God and gave the acknowledgement to God. And as far as he was concerned, he was going to go right back down into that prison. And he interprets the dream and he says, Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. Seven good years are going to happen. You need to store up your grain because then there's going to be seven years of famine and it's going to be terrible. And you need to appoint somebody who's going to be wise enough to be able to handle the situation and manage it. And Pharaoh said, you're the man. You're going to be my right-hand man, the prime minister. And in just a matter of, of a few hours, Joseph goes from prison to the prime minister. And so there's seven years of good crops, and all of a sudden a famine comes. And then here it is, after 20 years, more than 20 years, when he was, you know, you know thrown into that pit, we see that his brothers come along. And Joseph recognizes them. And he takes Simeon and he asks, you know, is there any other brothers? Well, Benjamin's at home, the youngest. And it was Joseph that said, next time you guys come, you need to bring Benjamin. And I'm going to hold Simeon here. And as the chapters go on there in Genesis, we know that as they, the brothers, went back with grain, they told Jacob that that man told us that we have to bring Benjamin back, and he's holding Simeon. And what was the response of Jacob? He said that Joseph is gone, and Simeon is gone, and everything is working against me. Everything is working against me. Have you ever felt that way? That it seems like everything is working against you? And as we know that Joseph would reveal himself to his brothers and then Jacob would find out that his son was alive and they come to Egypt and they're given the best of the land there. And at the end of Joseph's life, he said this, what you guys did to me, you meant for evil, but God has worked it for good. 
God is going to work it for good, and you may not see it in a day or a week or a month or a year. It may take a while, and we're going to see that it's going to be worked for good, and at least we're going to see it on that side of eternity because I know that when we're all in heaven that we're going to stand together and we're going to cry out together, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. You trust in the Lord. You look to him for comfort and know that he is working for good. So here he's working for good with Esther and Mordecai and the Jews, but they still got this problem. This decree is still out there. It's still law. So verse 4, the king held out the golden scepter towards Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, um, which he wrote to uh, annihilate the Jews, who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I ensure to see uh, the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? So we see here that Esther is pleading with the king to do something about this. They only have a few months. They need to counteract this evil or God's people are going to be destroyed. You know, there's a decree written in the scriptures that will not be changed. And that is the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So how is it that this is going to be counter, you know, you know, counteract this decree? Well, let's continue reading in verse 7. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hands on the Jews. And you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name. Seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. And so the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is in the month of Savan, and on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the sat straps, uh, the governors and the princes of the province from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. In verse 10, and he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it, and the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. And by these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. On one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. In verse 14, the couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. So this is what's taking place. The king says, you guys, Mordecai, Esther, write a decree and seal it with the signet ring, and that way what the decree is going to say is that the Jews can protect themselves. On that day that they're supposed to be annihilated, they can protect themselves and defend themselves is what they can do. The decree has been written that the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus who came. And tonight we're going to come to the communion table and we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to take up communion because we are remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us to bring us life. Who went to the cross because all of us are sinners and all of us were under that decree. We've been talking about this, haven't we, on Sunday mornings as we went through John chapter 9. That as that blind man was healed by Jesus and his testimony was that I am blind but now I see. And that blind man is, represents us. We were blind spiritually. We were dead spiritually, Ephesians chapter 2, because of sin. But Jesus, who went to the cross and died for our sins, it died in place of us, he died for us, took the punishment for you and for me that we deserved, and he was one that became the propitiation, the satisfaction. He made atonement. He redeemed us, purchased you and me with his own blood. That is the decree that has gone out for you and I who believe that our sins are washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he is our only hope. So here that decree is going to be written in verse 15. Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel, a blue and white with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. And the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province in the city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. The first decree, remember it went out, it brought sadness and it brought weeping and lamenting and it brought very much confusion. You see, that's the hope of the world. And that's what we need to tell people. The world is not your hope. The world is going to bring darkness and bondage and it's going to bring defeat and death to you and it's very, very confusing, isn't it? And it's getting even more confusing confusing here, darker, getting more evil as the days go on, doesn't it? But you know what brings gladness and joy and peace and celebration is the good news of the gospel. And you and I have opportunity to give that good news to others and tell them that Jesus is light and that he's the one that gives us a gladness of heart and real joy and he's the one that gives us life because he came to give us life, eternal life for those who believe in him. So chapter 9, now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. And on that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. The opposite occurred, and the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. Now remember, chapter 8 ended with many uh, would become you know, Jews, they, they, as, you know, fear came upon them, uh, Mordecai and Esther had great influence, and, and so God is working as, as they're coming together to, to defend uh, those who come against the Jews. In verse 2, the Jews gathered together in the cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them because fear on, uh, of them fell upon all the people. 
and all the officials of the provinces, the satraps and the governors and all those doing the king's work, helped the Jews because uh, the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent and thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and with destruction and did what they pleased with those who hated them. So the day of reckoning had come but the Jews now could fight back and defend themselves. And with Mordecai being the right-hand man to the king, the people in the kingdom would rally to help the Jews, as I said, defeat their enemies. And they're only, listen, taking a defensive stand. They are not taking the plunders. They are only defending themselves. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it, it reminds me, as I think about this story, and at this part and time of the story, that Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul writes, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, I know the Hamans of the world come against you and I. But ultimately, always remember this. We have to remember this. I have to remember this, or I'll just li live in a defeated state that we have ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. And the Lord's going to come back and he's going to establish his kingdom and we're going to rule and reign with him. That's our future. That is our future. And that's why it's important that we keep our eyes on eternity, have an eternal perspective that the Lord's coming back, I believe, very soon. You know, our lives are but a vapor. And after this life, we're going to be with the Lord forever and forever and forever. And we're going to be with him in heaven. We're going to rule and reign in the millennium kingdom. We're going to be with him in a new heaven and a new earth. That's our future. That's our future. So truly, we have reason to rejoice, don't we? And have gladness of heart. So what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And the implication there is all good things. The enemy, Satan, will try to defeat us, but he has been defeated. And we have victory because we have fear of the Lord. We have belief in the Lord. And the Lord's going to come through in his promises for us. He's going to take us home to be with him. So we see that in verse 6, the cities that are listed there, you know, that the Jews defended themselves. Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Um, you go to verse 10, take notice that the 10 sons of Haman are listed there. In verse 11, on that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan, the citadel, was brought to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the citadel, and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. In verse 13, then Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow according to today's decree and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men of Shushan, so additional 300 men, but they did not lay hand on the plunder. So again, the next day a decree was made to continue to be able to defend themselves and the ten sons of Haman were hung on the gallows 
And one of the things that I just want to say is, and we've mentioned this going throughout this book, is the enemy will continue to come against you and me as long as we're on this side of eternity. As long as the Lord tarries, the enemy is fighting overtime, and he's going to continue to attack you. He's going to continue to attack your marriage. He's going to continue to attack your children, your grandchildren. He's going to attack any area of your life that he can. He's going to attack this church because he hates us, and he hates you, and he's a destroyer. So it is a spiritual war that is out there. It's a battlefield that is out there. So what did you and I do? Well, James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Know this, that he doesn't have power over you. Now, he's powerful, and he's going to try to throw those fiery darts at you. He's going to deceive you. He's going to try to blind you. He's going to be the accuser of the brethren, accuse you. But he has no power over you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus Christ has given us victory, as Colossians chapter 2 says, that the principalities and powers were stripped of their authority over us. So we have ultimate victory, but it is a battle out there, and he is powerful. And you don't go into his territory because he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour, and he wants to rip your head off. And same with me, and he wants to tear us apart. But here's the thing. We put on the whole armor of God, and we have the testimony of the Lamb, and we are ones that we're washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have victory, and we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in our hearts. And here is, is them continuing to defend themselves because the enemies are trying to rally themselves you know, against uh, the Jews. In verse 16, And the remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and, and protected their lives and rest from their enemies and killed 75,000 of their enemies, but did not lay a hand on the plunder. And this was the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th of the month they rested it and made it a day of feasting and gladness. And verse 18, but the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as the 14th, and on the 15th, and on the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. And therefore the Jews of the villages who dwelt in an unwalled town celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. So great celebration that is happening. And they're going to make it a proclamation that this feast of Purim should be celebrated every year. You know, what a celebration it's going to be when the Lord comes back and establishes the kingdom, when we're all together, when Satan is finally put away, isn't that going to be a great day? I can't wait for that day. When the enemy is just put away, locked up, and the Lord rules and reigns, and we're with him, and then finally the Satan, he's going to be let out for a short time, as Revelation uh, chapter 19 tells us, and, and try to do one last rebellion against you know, the Lord, but the Lord's just going to simply speak, and then he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. I can't wait till finally all that is done. And we're just with the Lord for all eternity. What a great celebration that's going to be. And I am looking so forward to that. And it's true that we're going to be with the Lord, and the enemy is going to be put away as God's word declares it. But we continue reading verse 20. Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces 
of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the days in which the Jews had rest from their enemies as uh, the month which they turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. And so here the Feast of Perm is established. And it's interesting, they were to do that to remember how God had protected his people, how he had worked on behalf of his people. And you see that throughout the scriptures that God called on his people to remember his great works. And it's important for you and I to do that. I mean, he called them to celebrate Passover, right? That Passover as they would come out of Egypt, how God would bring them out of Egypt and the Passover lamb was killed and the blood put on the doorposts and the lentils. And then the death angel passed over them. And of course, we as Christians, as we know that Jesus is our Passover lamb, that he went to the cross and shed his blood for you and for me. And now death passes over us because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So Passover uh, was celebrated. Um, Joshua chapter 4, the memorial stones at the Jordan, that would be a memorial how God brought them into the promised land. We have been talking about in John's gospel that Jesus went to Jerusalem at the feast and he would cry out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink and out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. And we know that took place at the Feast of Tabernacles. And we know what the Feast of Tabernacle was all about. The Feast of Tabernacle is how God provided for you know, them when they were wandering in the wilderness, the manna, the, the water, uh, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud that would lead them. So God would have them do these things to remember his mighty works. And you might recall, as you go through the books of the prophets, the major and minor prophets, that when God was calling them back to worship him away from their false worship, he would constantly say, remember the works. Remember what I've done for you, how I brought you out of Egypt, given you this land, you know, how I've provided for you. And we don't want to forget the works that God has done for us. And that's why communion is very important, because we're remembering what Jesus has done for us as we hold those elements that, that as we've entered into and are part of that new covenant, his, his body broken for us, his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. So I pray that as we come to the communion table, it would be a true time of remembering and worship and at awe of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I in saving us. So here's the Feast of Perm that's still celebrated today, the Jews that celebrate it. And it's a festive time in verse 23. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun as Mordecai had written to them. Because Haman, uh, there the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast per, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. And so they called these days Purim, after the name Pur, that's the cost, and then M is plural, therefore, because of all the words of this letter, that what they have seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them. And the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them, that without fail they should celebrate 
these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, that these days of perm should not fail to be observed among the Jews and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. And, and they do. They celebrate it still after 2,500 years of this story that took place. They still celebrate the Feast of Purim. It's amazing. And then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, verse 29, tells us, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of, of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was, as it was written in the book. So letters were sent throughout the kingdom confirming the feast and it would be celebrated from generation to generation, which it has been. And then chapter 10, as we finish the book of Esther, King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. So even though God's name is not mentioned in this book, God was working. And always remember this, always, and don't forget that he is working in your life. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for this wonderful story and book that we've gone through and just studied to see your faithfulness and your goodness and your provision given to us. And Father, I just pray for all of us that are here, those in the coffee shop, and those listening by live stream, that we would know that your word declares and shows us very clearly that you do work in our lives. And we may not understand everything. We may not have it figured out, certainly. But, Lord, we know that you are all-powerful, full of compassion and mercy. And he who did not spare his own son, we know that you will not withhold that which is good for us in your eyes according to your will. So may we trust in you and rest in your love. Father, I just pray if there is anyone listening to this message tonight that's here in this sanctuary, that the decree has gone out by God's word that the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. But Jesus Christ came to give life. Jesus went to a cross for you. You can't be good enough. You cannot purchase eternal life. It doesn't come through anyone else or anything else. It's Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say he is a way. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the resurrection and the life. No one else. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. 
And he proved who he was and what he did on Calvary's cross by rising from the grave and conquering sin and death. And if you're here tonight and you're not right with God, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then coming to the communion table is not for you. It's for the believer who's remembering what Jesus has done for them. But we want to give you an opportunity to come to Jesus if you've never done that. To be able right now to say in your heart, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and I confess that I am a sinner. And I believe, Jesus, you died on Calvary's cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. And I know that you're alive because you're knocking on the door of my heart. And I can sense your conviction and you're drawing me to yourself. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe in you. And I believe you rose from the grave and you are alive. And thank you for saving me. Father, I pray to anybody prayed that prayer either by listening to us on live stream or in this sanctuary that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit right now and your love and Lord that they know that your word is true that they are born again by the Spirit of God and for us tonight as we now come to the communion table that as we hold the elements in our hands and we'll partake of them together when we're all done, that it would be a time of just, as we hold those elements, the, the bread, the cup, of just being in awe of the wonderful works that you have done. So bless this time of worship in Jesus' name. Amen.